Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of the Hang Tight Podcast. Um, I'm finally getting this out there uh, for all of you to hear. This is a special um, interview um, episode that I recorded about a month ago uh, with a very good friend of mine, someone that I've known since I was 13, uh, a guy called Jamal Lewis. He is... Uh, the drummer for a few sort of Afro-Caribbean, funk, soul, uh, hip-hop, fusion, really alternative-based uh, uh, music compared to what I listen to and, and what Hang Tight sort of normally goes for. Um, but we talk for nearly two hours about uh, our time in wrestling, how that ended, um, we, you know, we really talk about some really interesting stories in there. If you're a pro wrestling fan, you should, uh, you should check that out. And, um, also we get into music. Um, it gets really raw. It gets really deep. Um, we talk about a lot of really interesting, relevant stuff. Um, <clears throat> and this is something that I'm finally ready to get out there. Um, like I say, it's two hours long and it does stop quite abruptly because, uh, the call on Skype ended up dropping at the end, so it does kind of stop uh, rather rather abundantly at the end. Um, but I'm getting this out there for you all to hear. I really hope you enjoy it. This is the Hang and Type Podcast with Chris Fogg and Jamal Lewis. Okay. I am here for the first proper episode of the Hang and Type Podcast with my first guest. Um, he is somebody that I've uh, known personally uh, since I was 13 years old. We uh, mm-hmm. started, um, we met at Future Shot Wrestling in Manchester, and we sort of uh, gone through the same path. Uh, we went from wrestling into music. So my first guest for the Hang Tight Podcast is Mr. Jamal Lewis. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. There's yeah. not many... Uh, not many brave people out there that had uh, decided to be the first people to come on something like this with me. Well, you need to, you know, you need a sacrificial guest, so you know, I might as well, I'd, you know, I'm signing up, sign up for it. Uh, well, so, uh, so in my little introduction, there, obviously, I, uh, I mentioned that we we met uh, Future Shark, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll go we'll go through that. But um, you're also uh, the drummer uh, for uh, three bands, one main one, uh, which is. Now, is it just the letters, or is it an actual name? It's an actual name. It's called Ngubu. You see, I'm glad that I asked, because there was no way that I would say that without sounding insanely racist. <laughs> it had just come out as a word that I've invented. So you're in that band. Um, yeah. And then you're also in uh, a band called Inner Groove, and the third band, The Captivators. Yes, that's uh, that's correct. These are... I'm sure. Did I have I seen you you with the Captivators, or have you just sent me some stuff? I've sent you some stuff from the Captivators. This was years ago. You've seen me play in Preston, but I was depping for a band called Illustate. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You uh, you supported. You do you know what I'd say weirdly, but you're not the weirdest support for that band on that tour. (laughs) You You supported Crazy Town. Yes. Crazy um, town. Yeah, you would have got the weirdest support for the stringer shows that, that I did with them. However, mm. uh, three nights before in Bolton, they had an acoustic folk artist. That what? Yeah. How does that work? 
Yeah, Dog, Dog Coffee op- opened for them in Bolton, and he's like, I love the guy. He played my festival, but yeah. he um, he's acoustic folk. His 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 last song is about how uh, he got wanked off by a girl in a Weatherspoons. Yeah, uh, and he, and he opened for them. To be honest, it's no, it's not that it's not it's not that much weirder than what happened to me at Revolution to Cuba. So, oh really? Yeah. Uh, that's what that happens. Sounds like a story in itself. Oh god, it's, it's that's what happens when you um, put the install the hinge app. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So um. So do you know what? We're gonna we're, instead of we're, we're gonna go into music, but mm-hmm. I think like I think it's we we actually like we talk quite often on Facebook. We've not actually yeah. like talked. Properly, and we, like, like I say, I've I've known you since I was thirteen, so mm-hmm. that's like it's a long, long time. And uh, yeah, actually, yeah, like I, I lied about my age. I remember my first my first training session. Um, uh, I think it was like Dave took me and did Ooh. like bumps outside the ring, and he like the first thing he said to me, like, and I'd walked on the website and it said that it was fifteen or over. It was fourteen or over, actually. Fourteen. Yeah. Well, he took me to one side and he was like, uh, "Like, nice to meet you, blah blah blah." I'm, D- I'm Dave. How old are you? And like, it felt like the world stopped for like ten seconds because I was mm. like, obviously, yeah, I was like, I'm 15. And he was like, like he looked at me really sideways, as if to go, "There is no way you've got enough pubes to <laughs> convince us that you're 15." And um, mm. but like, he was just sort of like, "Okay, fuck it," and just went into it. But like for for like five, ten seconds, when he asked me that one question, I nearly crumbled, and it oh. felt like the world just stopped. But yeah, we we met each other at Future Shop Wrestling. Yeah, in uh in Manchester, it was that was back in the day. That was mm. that was that was when it was Future Shop before they tried to make it FWA Manchester. Yeah, um, made it FWA Manchester around to two thousand five time. Yeah. Um, well, Alex, yeah. Alex did the whole uh, yeah. FWA uh, town sort of thing, and um, he like obviously wanted it after uh, Manchester, and everyone just carried on calling it Future Shop. Yeah, yeah. No, no one wanted to give it the FWA Manchester name, and I think he just sort of like ran with it. Like, he yeah. Didn't, uh, everyone was proud of it being Future Shop, a standalone from from the FWA. Yeah. But yeah, so that's where we met, and that's uh, that's how we we knew each other for a long time. So like, it's it's really weird how we we've gone. In the, the same the same sort of journey as well because we yeah. went from from that fucked up crazy industry into <laughs> another fucked up crazy. On, yeah it's something that's either on par or definitely worse. Oh Jesus! Um, so like what what were your like what were your experiences like at training? <sighs> like did you enjoy it? Like was it yeah? The thing like? is, obviously there's a lot of mixed feelings, and I've got obviously a bit of hang-ups, but to be fair. Uh, I think for me as a teenage, as a young teenager, I think it's what I needed. Yeah. Because obviously it toughened you up physically, but I think someone like Alex was, I think he was a perfect father figure slash older brother figure to us. I think he was, I think if it weren't for Alex, it would, the road, the roads, that road would have been a lot more, yeah, more problematic and more. um, Yeah, definitely. So I think I think in a weird way as well, like Alex at that time, and he like he's he would happily admit that Alex at that time was like very much a party animal. Like he was in yeah. the sort of he was in the 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 midst of becoming 
like the show stealer and, mm. and really sort of like living the gimmick. Um, I, I, I came, my first training session was the week after British Uprising 3, so he just yeah. won the belt. And um, as crazy and sort of as unhinged as Alex was at that time, he was also a vital part to Future Shock. Yeah. And I think, I think in many ways, like he, he definitely, he, he definitely was the sort of like the, our, our, um, our backstage sort of like head guy. Like he, yeah. he kept, he, I think he, he kept things straight and he kept things good for a long time yeah. until the FWA sort of got a bit too big and he sort of faded out. Mm. And it was so crazy as well to have, like, I, when I started training, I didn't know anything of British wrestling. I just knew that there was a training school that taught yeah. you how to wrestle. I did not know British wrestling was a thing. And like I say, it was the week after Alex uh, won the belt. And uh, the week after that was a training session with D'Lo Brown, if you mm-hmm. remember that. Yes, you I remember, remember that. Yeah. Yes. That was, that was, so that for me, I was like, oh my God, it's real wrestling. Like, I've heard of that guy. Like, I've yeah. never heard of sort of British wrestling. So, like, like I was introduced to a whole different world really fast at a really young age. And if you think about sort of 13 years old, being in school, this being your school, and having a mentor, like, it was quite crazy and quite, you know, it was... It was insane. It's basically, basically, it's like being um, locked in a locked in a basically sweet shop for like twenty four hours. Oh yeah, like he was, he was, he was somebody that, that you could learn so much from mm. in the space of four hours. Like you could like do it so many times that he would take training and we'd just sit on the mats and listen. Like he'd oh, just yeah. give one of his massive rants, and um, like he would just he just go off. But you you'd learn so fucking much. No, yeah, he is. He, is, he was that guy. He was such a. He had such a presence about himself that he could basically, literally, he could talk about this story where uh, he took a sh- he took a shit on Johnny um, what Johnny Storm's um, lawn, like lawn, and had to wipe his ass with a fucking car. And yeah. Well, with the curtains, and you'd learn, you'd actually have to walk away feeling, uh, feeling much better, actually so, being a better person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you you feel and like it was it wasn't just that like you so for me like I saw like you saw him in training and how he treated us and like mm-hmm. how he how he like really sort of cared about us and then you yeah. see him on a show and you see that side of Alex yeah. which is like he like because at the time I think he was the future shot champion mm-hmm. and like he to know the Alex that we knew and then see Alex heel mode when he go through the curtain and that side of it like, <laughs> like for me yeah. Like I like I, I there's a there's a YouTube channel on uh, on YouTube called F, uh, FWA Files mm. and it's got every FWA show on it like every FWA show like you should check it out and it's got like like every show like including like stuff with like Dave and stuff on it. Yeah. Like, like, Ooh, it speaking of which, I remember there was a situation. Like it's incredible. Yeah, I actually remember that there was a situation where me, Jamie, and did you Chris? Uh, no, no, it wasn't Chris. It was someone else, BJ. Oh, and so on. We actually did a segment with Alex and Joey Legend. Uh, they oh, said really? we were just getting slapped up. And then it was during a match with Dave and Egan. We were basically running in to save, um, save Dave from like the FWA um, you know, trainees from down south. Was, it, was that on an FWA show? 
Yeah, that was actually an official. Well, that, that'll, be, that'll be on that channel. Like it's mm -hmm. got everything from like the 1999. It's even got the albums on it. Like the FW, the music albums and shit on it, man. Like it's incredible. And you saw, like, I've I've watched some of it back, and I still to this day, like, when you see Alex come out the curtain and do one of his promos, I still get goosebumps. Yeah. Like I, I genuinely still sort of like get that feeling, like fucking hell, like he really was a big, larger than life character. Yeah. He basically, if it weren't for him, there would there wouldn't be a British wrestling anymore. He no, pretty yeah. much say he pretty much not only revived it but thrived and pushed it forward. So I think, and the thing about him, like the UK, I think there's a lot of people on the UK FF that talk a lot of shit about him. But in the actuality, if it wasn't for Alex, there wouldn't be a progress and a Rev Pro, and no, there wouldn't be absolutely that. not, absolutely it wouldn't be wouldn't be any of that shit if it weren't for the FWA. Forget about it. There wouldn't be a British wrestling period. And like, yeah, he was like, he was a bit of a character, and he had some wacky ideas, like with the British record. But do you know what? Like, at least he had ideas, and at least, yeah, he, at least he tried to bring something fresh to the table. Mm -hmm. That was in a period where British wrestling was was still looked at from the Americans as an easy payday, and from yeah. and from everybody else as just sort of like it, it was a WWE wannabe. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the thing is, like, from I mean, seeing like the history of British wrestling, you see people like you know Johnny, Jody, and Doug. I, for me, in terms of the British wrestling history, they were like the soldiers on the front line. Yeah. But actually, it was Alex Shane who was pretty much the general yeah, and the absolutely. commander. That's yeah. how I think about uh, British the history of British wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was definitely he was, and it was because of him we like we got. The, uh, the partnership with Ring of Honor, TNA, mm -hmm. like yeah. obviously uh, World of Sport, the ITV thing, yeah, it might have been shit, but he still put British wrestling back on mainstream TV. Exactly. And, you know, you can you can think what you want about him. Yeah, he's a character, and, and some people don't, some people have problems with characters. Oh, he's, you know? Yeah, well, his thing is not for everyone, so... Like, like... I'm, I'm one of these same people, like, I'm a, I'm a character that people either love or hate. It's one of them <laughs> things that, I, you know, I don't really give a fuck either way. And yeah. it, he's exactly the same. And I think, like, like we, I, I mentioned uh, the D'Lo Brown uh, mm -hmm. training seminar. Like, so I don't know if you remember, I was talking to, to Heidi, my missus, about this, like, yeah. a few weeks. So we, so, like, before he came, like, we sort of, like, got sat on the match and was like, right, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go through, like, some spots. We're going to sit down and have a Q&A. Yeah. Whatever you do. Don't, don't mention, mention draws. Yes. Don't mention that. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing that's off limits. Okay? We go do it. We sit down. Uh, uh, what's his name? Ben, um, ben Rage. Uh, uh, I can't. I can't. Ben Rage. That's the one. Yeah. What's his hand up? What comes out of his mouth? How did you feel? What happened with Ross? Oh, oh like, no. As soon as it exited his mouth, you just felt the whole room just it. Yeah, it was Ooh. awful. But it like, was. But to be fair, to Dilo's credit, he, you know, he took it well. Took it as well as he could. Yeah, but you can see in his face, like it's still hurting to this day. Yeah, exactly. Like because... it, was, it was a, it was such a, and I, you could tell it was so innocent from Ben. Mm -hmm. And I, it was, it was about like I think, I think I asked the question. It was so retarded. It was a kid asking a wrestler a question, but like <laughs> it was, it was just like it was one of them situations that you actually look back on and you sort of smile because it was just so, it was fun and it was like, and the, and I think. Like shortly after that as well, like it went from being really fun and us being all being a team, and it sort of mm. changed. Yeah. Like the 
the whole premise of it, the whole situation changed. Like we, the 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 atmosphere, everything, it just it it all went so different. And yeah. you, so I I got booked on shows down south in in mm. RDW, whereas you actually made it on shows in mm. for Future Shock. Yeah, um, I've done so. I've done like one or two shows in RDW. So yeah, you you came you came down uh, when I when I was on one. I like yeah. I remember there was a couple of times where mm-hmm. I was on a show. And yeah. I wouldn't know the card. I just know my 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 match. Bro, and I get yeah. down there, and Dave would be there. Yeah. And like he hated me for being on those shows. Like he genuinely did not. He didn't like it. But for you, you got to make it onto the future shock shows. Yeah. So what was that like in that period? What? How was that for you? I think for me, obviously, it was just trying to impress Alex and trying to say, look, I'm good enough on to be on a show. Obviously, you know, being young and being a teenager, you're not as ready as you think you are. But I think that was a situation where we're doing movesets and everything like that. And it was really a situation where, oh, I got to think of, like, I need to actually be creative and interesting, stuff like that. So long story short, it was good enough to impress Alex to a point where it's like, you know, you have actually improved quite a lot since that since then. Yeah. So it's like, and he's even said, it's, you know, I've been one of his, the most improved wrestlers, you know, in that is taught in that sense. Yeah. But in the sense of obviously Future Shock, it's for a while it's been absolutely fun. I've enjoyed it. It's been, it's been to the point where obviously I was in showcase matches doing what I needed to do. Um, up until 2006, where and really, I there was a situation where I was supposed to be paired in like an eight man tag match, but without basically te- anyone telling me anything until I got got to the stadium, got to uh, the venue, I was said, Oh, you booked into you booked into a match with Declan and Joey, and obviously, Declan back then he ended up. St- he actually ran off with um, the gym's the gym's money. Basically, stole wax and his money and all that. And, and it was a situation where it's like, okay, he. I was thinking, wait a minute, you. Why are you? Why is he booked on the you know the sh- cards when he's stolen stolen the gym's money? Yeah. And worst of all, why am I being booked against him? I did. You didn't ask. Anything about it? Yeah. Um, it was a situation. During the situation, I trying to plan things together, and it was like, "Oh no, just go to flames." And I'm just like, "No, I'm not experienced enough to even try to try that. We need to have something concrete, so I'm not just fuck. You know, I'm fucking about and messing about." Yeah. And obviously, long story short, shit fell apart, and. At the end of the day, I was the one that was got, that was thrown under the bus for it. Yeah, and I, um, I I remember. So I we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago briefly. Yeah. Like I remember uh, moving gyms, and mm-hmm. um, I remember you not being around as yeah. much, and then just not being there. Um, mm-hmm. I I carried on going for. I think when we moved to the gym, I think I went for about two three months before I stopped, yeah. and there was. There was uh, the reasons behind me stopping was that my home life was was very much so. Yes. It was my home life was broken when I first started training, but mm-hmm. as I got older, it was getting a lot worse. And wrestling was always that was always that place for me to, mm. to 
feel like a family and feel like a group. Yeah. And it, it fast became not that way. It fast became me turning up to training and people dropping on me on my head for an hour and a half and thinking it was hilarious. Yeah. And I, so I stopped going and then sort of went, you know, I went into performing arts and into music. Mm-hmm. What, you stopped performing. So what, what was the reason for you stopping? That was a so lot actually, of... before, before you say this, yeah. before I... I'm going to say, you. what's the reason for you stopping training? Because in my eyes, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that you had a lot of ability and had a lot of potential in when shows were being booked, when there was people on there that were not half as ready, but had characters that were better than yeah. you. That were yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, for me, it started with the whole Declan situation. And that really turned... It wasn't so far the fact that it happened... But it's like every, every, basically nobody even questioned. Everyone was basically, you know, throwing me under the bus. Yeah, the book was passed to me, and I was like, "Wait, no one, nobody else, nobody else took any responsibility for that." I had to basically take all the shit for it, all because nobody wanted to basically plan anything. Yeah, in advance, and I. To, for me, it's like I could not forgive them for for putting me in that position for one thing, and then how they treat me afterwards. And it's yeah. like you brought in a guy who stole your fucking stole basically stole your money. Yeah, and you booked him. You basically threw one of your trainees who on, on at the time. Yeah, if he was at the time the guy that was well, as lawless fuck to you, and you know was fucking you know I was really putting the really contributing oh yeah yeah definitely and all of a sudden it's you know everything is fucking my fault yeah it's like how dare you you were you were like i say you were somebody that for me like i thought i felt like in the ring you were really you were really crisp and you were you were really trying to develop yourself and and do some new things yeah and like I say, like I think there were people out there that were getting booked because they were better characters, but mm-hmm. didn't have half as much in the ring. Yeah, and it went from you being sort of like in tag matches and and, and stuff like that to sort of just you no longer being there and somebody else having yeah. the spot. And you kept training and you kept trying to get back onto those shows. Yeah, and then it just didn't happen and you were mm-hmm. gone. I think it was a there was one case where it was just like me just being on the fucking side sides during the tour start of the tournament and just like uh, it was just why even do that well i mean obviously there was a look of why am i here if yeah. i'm not trading i and there's also the uh, the situation was just well you it was so toxic yeah it was it was became pretty toxic the environment but it's like yeah, you know definitely. what i just thought to myself fuck this, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not, you know, if you don't, if I'm not feeling valued, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be in an environment or go to an environment where I'm not being appreciated or valued. So I just thought I'd left. However, I did the dutiful thing and finished up my, obviously my match. So obviously yeah. my last match was with, um, was with, um, who's now called Jack Gallagher and um, with the, Obviously, the Blossom Twins. Well, oh, who, shit. that was your last match. Yeah, that was my last match. Oh no way! And um, with uh, Danny Hope, um, yeah, cyanide and oh, cyanide and toxic lethal dose, what they were known as. Um, yeah. And obviously the Jack, late Jack, 
Jack Gallagher yeah. with green hair, not ginger. Yeah. <laughs> and he lived was, no, actually, even before he, he was still ginger. Um, and even then, he was. And obviously, he had, there was like the late, uh, obviously, God rest his soul, the late great um, Chris Travis, rest in peace as well. So, and do you know? It was. Uh, I saw on Twitter. I saw on Twitter this week that it was uh, Dom Travis's birthday this week. Yeah, uh, I mean that was. I mean, when I found out, that was. That obviously, it was shocking. So, oh my! The guy was. Uh, a that was rock. It was a rock. Oh, the guy. The, so do you like you? Well, like we'll 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 wrap it up slightly with the wrestling, but I think it's such a good place to fucking finish because Dom. Mm. Um, when Dom took training, yeah. everybody hated it. Because I loved it actually. Got, oh, I loved it because, but like everybody would despise that an hour warm up where he he would fucking make you work. Good. Like that warm up was brutal, and mm. it was like he was the only person that did that. Everybody else that put up training would just be like, right, get in the ring. No, actually, us- to be fair, I made you stretch pretty, pretty rigorously. So it was me and Dom. So was- I was basically in charge of the stretching in the warm ups. That, like, if you Dom, remember that, like it was, yeah, you like there was there was you and Dom, and that was pretty much it. When it came to when it came to taking a training session, that would like do it properly, like because mm. the warm ups and the stretching would would be like as important as going and doing lots of moves. Yeah, exactly. That's your conditioning. That's what you have to do as a wrestler or any sort of worker. You have to have sort a certain level of conditioning to even yeah, exactly be in that ring, like. Like for me, this is one. This is one of the things that I've taken from wrestling to music. There's a couple of things, and one of those things are before I go on stage. Obviously, I'm, I, I'm I was solo, so I was by myself yeah. anyway, and I do a lot of movement on stage. So yeah. I would warm up vigorously backstage, and I'd like I'd have bands that come over to me and look at me like I'm fucking weird because I'm stretching. But then they'd see me on the stage, and they go, oh, "Okay, fair enough. That makes sense." Yeah, it does. Like it, it actually does make so much more of a difference to warm up to stretch mm-hmm. if you're going to be moving around and and dom like dom was such a big figurehead in there and like mm-hmm. he like he had everything he had everything to not only just be big in british wrestling but he had everything that i think could have gone to WWE. his size yeah. he was getting bigger and um for me i so i was traveled as well yeah he he, he wrestled uh, he got trained at uh, land storm school yes um and so I, for me, when I found out, I was, uh, at that time, I was, I'd just gone through a really bad breakup with my, my then long-term partner. And I was working on a holiday park as an entertainer. It was down south, it was down in Wales. And um, I'd done the daytime entertainment. I was going back, going back to my caravan to sort of rest up for the evening. And I got, um, I, I went on the UKFF for the first time in fucking ages. I'd not been on it for, you know, I was just browsing around and saw the, the post saying that you know dom had died and i read it and i i was so like i was genuinely so upset that i took that evening off work like i like that was for me the first time somebody close uh, that i'd known had died and it died in that way as well which was horrible yeah and the thing is it's a clear example of you don't know what's people it's an example of how little you know what people are going through I mean, the guy was such a strong role model and was such a perfect, I don't want to use the term perfect poster boy because it's just too demeaning, but he was, he was, he was an icon. He was someone you would look up to. He was basically, a, he was a guy that set levels 
in yeah. that you know, in that field amongst all the trainees. So he was like, he's ta- he spoke, he taught, you listen, you do what he does. Yeah, absolutely. He he was somebody that you you definitely respected. Mm. Definitely, and when he talked, you listened, and there wasn't that many people um, that commanded that respect. Yeah. Um, um, and you know he will be missed. And I think what you've just said is a massive point, and that is you don't know what's going on inside people's head, and that yeah. that started off. So for me, looking at mental health, being mm. around figureheads like them from wrestling into yeah, from into and Chris uh, as well. And Chris, well, yeah, Chris, 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 Chris eventually died of, of cancer, the, the cancer, and he yeah. was he he was in the prime, just about to get signed by WWE. Yeah, um, you've had like people like oh, Larry Sweeney. Larry Sweeney, he hmm. died. He hung himself in his training. Yeah, like, I don't know that much about Larry Sweeney myself, so I can't really comment on. He's been on over that. here a couple of times. Like hmm. I, I'd only seen him like briefly in Ring of Honor, but I read yeah. that, and for me, that was another one that was like. Well, mental health, sort of like. So mm. I, I've always, I've always uh, uh, had like bad depression and mental health problems since I was yeah. thirteen. And for mm. me, I didn't. Talk, I've never talked about it. I never talked about it in, in wrestling. Definitely not. No. And I didn't. I thought at that time, like maybe you're the only person that's dealing with this stuff. Maybe you know, maybe it's just you. And then for, to see this stuff happen, like yeah. to the strongest up, people. In yeah, that exactly. Field. It opened it up to go. Okay, mm. maybe, maybe you're not you know, a freak for, for having this stuff because that guy, you know that guy and he's yeah. fucking strong as shit. So for me, like, it definitely, it sort of, in in a positive way yeah. of a sad thing, it sort of opened up yeah. uh, a little bit of discussion about mental health yeah. within that industry. I think, I think it's something that still needs definitely to be worked on mm-hmm. uh, because wrestling is such a boyish... It is a mass, testosterone masculine film. There are people business. that treat people like shit there are people that treat people in a way that wouldn't be acceptable in any other line of work. Exactly. Um, and treat the people Rev Pro, and, the Rev yeah. Pro, the Rev Pro oh, situation. Fucking hell! Why? We'll we'll fit. We'll finish the wrestling talk on this bit. So we're talking yeah. about people treating people in an unacceptable way. If you work in an office and. For whatever reason, the computers go down and you don't get paid on the Friday like you're supposed to. Yep. You wouldn't go into the head of payroll and fucking like beat them up. No, and, you know, take Absolutely a piss not. on them and fucking go slash the tires. If you worked in, you know, a fucking a shop and you had a really shit day, a customer talked to you like shit in this shop, you wouldn't jump over the counter and beat the fuck out of them. No. There's no other line of work where it's acceptable to behave in that manner. And now, can I just say this? Going back to the whole Declan situation, basically how that match fucked up, and I ended up getting basically taking the L for that, I didn't then go up and beat on the referee for that. Yeah. That is exactly like, there's, there's, There is times in, there is, especially in wrestling, there is times where things fuck up. There is times yeah. where things go wrong. It's a live oh. environment. It's live entertainment. Yeah. But you're on stage when you're a musician. There are times that things fuck up. I yeah. played my last show uh, last uh, uh, this this year was playing Darwin Live, a huge mm. festival uh, that draws five thousand people. Three songs in, my mic stopped working. Now I didn't go over and fucking kick the shit out of the sound guy. I've dropped the mic to let them sort it out, and I carried on the song screaming at the crowd. Like yeah. I just carried on. I rolled with it. Was it yeah. upsetting? Yeah, it's my last show. Yeah, it's pissed off. 
of course I was, but I didn't behave in a way like that. Mm-hmm. That that whole situation is not only is it fucked up, but it just goes to show that the people that are in like wrestling, the entertainment industry, they deal with situations and they talk and treat people in a manner that would be acceptable in no other form yeah. of industry. There is no other line of work where you can treat people the way you treat people. And that's a horrible thing because obviously me being away from wrestling, I did come back to training here and there, but I actually met Josh quite a few, Josh Bodum quite a few guy, few times, and not knowing anything, back then he sounded like him. He seemed like a really lovely person. Yeah, he was. Re- he was back in the day. I remember meeting him. Like yeah. when in the early days, like I like I remember him. He seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, I actually remember seeing a Facebook message. I actually know on Facebook thing that he put on the wall it was like, really, I read. Oh, it's really, it was really nice to see you. Yeah, like, yeah, that was a, a polite fucking. That seems really nice, and then yeah. he behaved like that, and I think it just—it's just bullshit. It I want to know what happened. I want to honestly so apparently, genuinely so, know what happened so to him match, during that. So not, in match, the, not in the match. I'm wanting to know how could how did Josh come become you know came from decent you know oh shit okay yeah. potential to an absolute arsehole and yeah. such a problematic arsehole you know in the industry. It actually segues business. so so good into music because there are too <laughs> many characters and too many people that I've met who are exactly the same. So, oh. so obviously, like I say, me and Jamal met each other back in wrestling. We mm-hmm. talked about the wrestling days. Um, yeah. Obviously, for both of us, we some very oh, cool. some highs and lows. Oh, um, yeah. And but for me, it was I look back on it fondly for the most part. It was a good growing. It's a it was a perfect for us. A good growing experience for us. Yeah. And and then uh, myself, like I went into music, and so me, me and you sort of like. We split, sort of split, split ways. Haven't talked for years and yeah. years. Because you went into acting beforehand, and then you went. Yeah, to, I did the exact same thing. Yeah, I went, um, into, I went into performing arts, and then mm-hmm. I found that that was full of cunts that I didn't like. There you go. And it, all it, the like, do you know what? Do you know what? Like, do you know what? I, I said this once again. I said this to Heidi like a few months ago. Like, do you know what my most annoying thing was with acting was, which is why I left, mm. was that I would. Uh, audition for parts that I really wanted and get and always got given the main part. I never got mm. given something that would test me. I never got given anything that like would really sort of like push me. I just kept yeah. giving, get, get, getting given like these main parts and like eventually I just turned around and was like, this is fuck, I don't want this. Like it's not testing me. It's not. I'm just learning lines on a page. Yeah. I just like it's not. It's not giving me anything. So like I, I at that time I was sort of segueing into music anyway, mm. and and then sort of went from from wrestling into music and so that's really weird that we went we've literally followed in the same path yeah i like, mean i mean for me it's like i started not, i mean i was into drama obviously when i was in high school and um, finishing up high school and then i ended up getting a job at contact theater which i had for yeah. 11 11 years yeah i remember that, that was a great again like wrestling it was a great experience but i was just like wrestling it a lot of things just turned to shit yeah, and a lot of it was to do with obviously like the um, conservative government cutting a lot of the um, funding and cutting a lot of the arts. So I start to find out how horrible the office politics were. Yeah, and how just so gutless a lot of people behind the 
a lot of people in the back of house in a lot of departments really are. And what really what really kind of came to a head is like obviously there have been there so many. I survived like three eras of like um, contact. So there was the John McGuire era where I started working. And there was a Baba Israel era, which, I mean, I enjoyed, but it basically took a lot of a financial, it caused a financial burden to contact, which I'll admit, but it basically put contact on the map at the same time. Yeah. It was kind of, um, it's like the Eric Bischoff and Hogan era of TNA, if, um, <laughs> if it was actually, you know, except, you know, better quality um, of acts and shit like that. Not just like, not, not just like wheeling out. Sort of like the the sort of oldest fuck guys in wheelchairs, yeah. giving them the yeah. right parts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was at least it was, or at least what I thought it was, um, an equal, foot, a fair footing. But yeah. now you had you have like now you had the Mark Fenton era, which was just oh traditional theatre and just basically pandering to you know middle class and corporations and all that. And it's like I'm just looking at this. It's like Yo, we went for something that was groundbreaking, and you know something for young people that was groundbreaking and it was innovative, and we basically just watered it down to the point that you can't even taste a fucking flavor, yeah. the um, flavor in the orange juice anymore. Yeah, and it's, it, it's it's stuff like that that when you're so passionate um, about anything, like yeah. when when things start popping up and bits and bits like that, like it just it. I don't think there's anything worse than something coming along and, and killing your passion. Yes. Like, when you're rolling on something and something comes along that just sort of breaks you and breaks breaks away from whatever you're passionate about, I don't think there's anything harder to get over. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll never go, I'll never get over being made at the time that I was made redundant, and it was basically, obviously, it was the situation with you know moving and all that, but it's like you know it was basically eleven years of bullshit, and this is what. You know, 11 years of me basically working my ass off, being a yeah. great ambassador to your fucking company, and this is how you treat me. Fuck you, and I hope you fall. That's yeah. how I felt, and that's how I still feel. And it's like, and the reason that you literally, the reason that you feel that way is because, like I say, you just you you lived and breathed it. You lived, yeah. you know, you went, you go all out in in something like exactly. For for me, like with wrestling, like I wasn't so much upset and sort of. Uh, and jaded because I put so much money into it. Like yeah. for me, for me, like traveling down to Skegness for a show that I wasn't being paid for, yeah. it, like twice a month, it cost nearly two hundred quid. And I'd I'd get up and get the first train to Skegness at five <laughs> in the morning at, f- at fifteen years old. Yeah. And when you're doing stuff like that because you're so passionate, like it it just hurts. Like and it's the same with it's in the same thing with music. Oh, like God. music. Like I've 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 traveled like. I, when me and Heidi first got together, yeah. I got for a show in Southampton, and I got—I think it was like I got paid like twenty, thirty quid, and it was so it was in Southampton. It was on the other side of the country, and I got a mega bus at seven in the morning, and I got to Southampton at seven at night. It was a twelve-hour-long trip. Did the show, um, couldn't find anywhere to stay because I thought I'll get there and I'll try and find somewhere to stay for the night and then yeah. get a, a train home. Couldn't find anywhere to stay, so I stayed in. Not not the bus station because the bus station was closed. I I kept, I slept in the bus bay, mm. so where the coach would actually pull up, I had my suitcase and I just slept there. Mm. Like and th- when you're doing that sort of stuff, for, like 
Music, music's, I think, a different sort of beast when it comes to sacrifices and yeah. stuff that you've got to do. Because music, I think, demands a lot more from bands and artists and expects a lot more in return. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, one thing that I've never really been kind of like thought, I never think, think of myself as part of the music scene in that term, in the rat race term. Because it's just become such a clicky bullshit kind of thing. It's like, no, why should this That's idea thing, yeah. that you, yeah, this idea that you have to sacrifice so much can get to so get, to get a crumb of an opportunity. Yeah, that's that's bullshit. I mean, but yeah, but yeah, there are there are bands out there that are best friends with the promoters that get headlines. Yeah, exactly. That is the fucked up thing. And, so, we're, um, so we're going to get into the music side. Oh, great. Right? Good. Like, this is where we want. <laughs> this is so, where so, so me and me and Jamal are somebody that like are people, a group, a set of people that um that don't hold our tongue and we speak our speak our minds and speak the truth mm-hmm. and we don't bullshit. So we've got when 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 I wanted a fir- when I was looking at a first guest for the podcast, like mm-hmm. I uh I was looking for and there's you know I'm recording another one next Tuesday with. Uh, with Dak, who's from Oxford Montage, a banger on here, and it was going to be really interesting because we're going to get the take on the Blackpool scene and that sort of side of it. But when I was thinking about who I wanted for the first first guest, I wanted somebody that was going to come out and had some interesting stories and interesting takes on it, but also somebody that wasn't going to politic and bullshit and mm. hold their tongue. And so, uh, me and Jamal have been talking for like quite quite regularly for the past couple of months, uh, sort of month and a half or so, where with the whole thing that happened with Jay. Yeah. Um, and that we're gonna um, get into that, aren't we? That uh, I've I've actually like so I did I my, my first the first episode I did a review of all the bands that played the festival and I just didn't mention him, like I didn't mention him and Jake and I think for me like it's more upsetting to not be mentioned when you're talking about playing with Mallory Knox on my last ever festival show yeah. than it is to talk shit about them and but like for me that was a that was a fucked up situation really hard and Jamal reached out and he was like he. He like phoned like Heidi and he was there for me, and because of that we sort of reconnected and we talk. We've been talking about music and shows and shit like that, and that's been, and that has been why he's the first guest because it's going to be something that's not only going to be just informative, but it's going to be no bullshit. Yeah. So when it comes to music, like you're obviously you're you're in. So the band that you're in, we've also done something like which we'll do last before we, we wrap it up, which we're I, I'm going to do with every guest, which is an album swap. So you, I give uh, the guest an album to listen to. They give me one. We're going to get to that later on. That's a, that's really interesting because it's we're from two different genres, two different backgrounds. And it's going to be very interesting. But the first thing that I sort of want to get in get in with you is like, so you're you're a drum, you're a drummer in a, a quite a a active and and uh busy uh band and the band is like a a funk soul hip-hop afro-caribbean fusion band yeah you see i read on spotify Uh, which is which is like a a really weird and wonderful mix and mashup but also something that like all those genres are something that you give a little bit of yourself with every song and you really put your you really put everything of you into each song. Yeah. So for you, how are you finding how do you find the live first of all, how do you find the live scene in Manchester? Okay, let's start off with there's a the live scene in terms of like talent out there. 
there's it's, it has it in abundance. But in terms of like you know having a space or like a platform for kind of like people like me uh, who play, you don't play just a typical rock indie or acoustic scene. Yeah, it's so difficult to break, and it's so hard to get taken seriously. And this is something that I, that I regularly talk with my uncle about. Um, my uncle B, who actually was a big um, figure in the uh, Manchester music scene, a guy called Mikey Wilson, who drummed for, he used to drum for Texas, he drummed for Swing Out Sister, he also uh, drummed, drummed for um, a reggae band called Heart and Spirit, he drummed for a rock, like a heavy rock hip-hop band called Dust Junkies, and he also oh, did, a, yeah, and he also did um, uh, quite a lot of stuff with, with um, Corin Bailey Ray, and he also did uh, ba- recently backed. Ah, he actually recently backed Lionel Richie of all things. Of all no people. way, Lionel Richie, and he, and he was actually supporting Stevie Wonder at that tour. Oh shit! No way. Yeah, so he's a well-traveled person, but he's such a he. I adapt. I adopt so much of his beliefs, um, and like this is why I'm such a very. I hate to say it, I hate to be that guy to say it, but I am pretty much a very big proponent and an advocate of black music and black music yeah. into, you know, uh, basically having it, having that a platform for it. And I do think, I've always thought, like, we always talk about like, the Manchester music history of, um, talk about Stone Roses, we talk about, you know, New Order, we talk about you know, Morrissey, we talk about Oasis and all that. Yeah. There's so many other Black Caribbean acts that have not been given that same platform and not been having the same mention. For example, you have Cool Down Zone and then Fifty Second Street back in the eighties, and there were a Moss Side um, fronted by Dine, oh, um, the late great Dine, Dine Charlemagne. You had Cleopatra in the nineties. You had back in the seventies, you had Sweet Sensation um, with, and actually, funny enough, the bass player, a guy called Barrington Johnson. His um his nephew actually used to go to my old music college. Um, okay. He also had um my father my father is actually a reggae singer and he used to be in a, ba- a reggae soul band called Fourth Generation. My auntie yeah my auntie Melville was actually a part of a band with my mum and my uncle Philip, known as African Velvet. Oh, so, so you've got such a an, such a music family. Yeah, um, my uncle is actually um, he's actually a very famous. One of my other uncles is actually a very famous reggae artist known as Beres Hammond, and who's still continuing to do music to this day. And he's actually doing the he's continuing to do like the Legends of Reggae tour each year. Um, oh, wow. One of my cousins is actually a keyboard player for one of the bands that I play called Inner Groove, and he also does a Level 42 tribute act as well. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this. You, uh, you guys have got a show at Butlins. Yeah, Butlins on the 29th of September in Skegness. So, um, so mate, do you, I, like, I never knew that your family's pretty much music. Yeah, a lot of it. Like, that's music. crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's so many... There's, you, you talk about the Hacienda, there's so many other historical places like, you know, you have the Big Western, you have yeah. the Rasta's HQ, you have the Reno's in Moss Side. Um, it's, it's, it's looked at as just like Manchester, Manchester's like uh, legend scene is looked at as just like the Hacienda, Oasis, Stone Roses. That's yeah, like, it's I, not like I it's so, it goes so much deeper than that. It like, is. It goes so much deep. 
I think that's why, like, Manchester is, like, for me, when I was starting out, like, I really wanted to try and get, like, many shows and stuff in Manchester mm. because it's, like, because it's that, it's that sort of, like, historical place yeah. where so many, like, not even so many bands start, but so many places have played there, like, and so, like, mm-hmm. it's that, like, like, you want to play as many shows in Blackpool, uh, sorry, in Manchester, because you want to get out there and you want yeah. to be a part of that history. Mm-hmm. But I think what you said, like, is, is, is very, like, very honest in the sense that, like, if you like if you're not a certain way and if you're not sort of like a certain style and yeah. if you're not good at sucking ass, then exactly. you find it really hard to either get shows or get bookings back or yeah. like or try and get something on a consistent a consistent yeah. basis. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, even venues. If venues you're not like... are becoming really hard as well. Like Yeah. And I'll give you an example as well. There was a venue that was opened um Last from last year in 2018, which is an amazing venue called the Patron, which is, is which was in Northern Quarter, and yeah. basically they um they wanted funk soul bands and very you know different from like your grunge rock and roll kind of stuff. So that was usually like obviously your two your two forty five minutes on your or your three thirty minutes, but that was a really good that was something about um, also as in Guru we really helped you know it was our Bretton Butter gig. Not only a bread and butter gig, but it was a gig that really helped develop us. Um, yeah. Not only um, us as a band, but as, you know our fan base. You know, we like we've really helped keep that place consistently full, consistently busy. The bar was making what forty k per week. It was, you know, we got we got um, paid pretty well for that. But then, lo and behold, the the um, magic gentrification machine pops in and uh, gets bought out. Yeah. And it gets replaced and turned into a techno club. Oh, wow. And it's like, and it's gone from the patron to the Wilson Social. It's like, oh, you're just buying into the fucking Manchester bullshit. Yeah. There were, there were, there were so much, like, for, like, there are so many venues that, like, either, either sell up and become something else or, like, Mm. go with different styles. And, like, for me, like, for me, so obviously, like, I'm I'm based in, in Blackpool, and like yeah. when I moved, when I moved over here, I said that like, so Blackpool's a fucking busiest shit uh, uh, area. Like mm. in the summer, we must have like thousands and thousands of people footfall wise. We've got a couple of venues that are okay. Some venues that have got a lot of potential to get overlooked. Mm. Some venues that decide that they don't want to do certain shows, which really sort of pigeonhole them. But like as a scene, it's fucking dog shit. Mm. And like, do you know what? Like I. I was gonna say nothing and like sort of bang my song, but fuck it, right? There's a, ven- there's a venue around here called Waterloo, right? It's a, ve- it's a venue that I did my festival at, and a venue that I've, I've, I felt very highly of, and, and um, I had a good relationship with the owner until the owner decided to be a cunt and fuck me over. Not only when it when it came to to shows, but he bullied and sort of backed me into a corner to get his son's band onto shows. Like I had I I I booked to sleep at the Helmers. Uh, uh, support for cancer bats went in and told him and he basically bullshitted me and got them kicked off and avarice on why oh because because uh so it's the same with the festival that he at first his, his son's band so his son's band is called avarice they are like a a metal band they are like bullets my valentine poison era mm. they're okay they're decent but the only reason that they get all the shows is because he keeps putting them on them so it's nepotism 101 but, when your dad is the venue manager and you're getting shows like fucking cancer bats, of course you're going to get it. He's going to bullshit, you know, he's going to get you on them shows. 
Like, and so I did my festival there, and like the cracks were showing, and he was being a certain way with me, like behind the scenes. And I kept I kept talking to people and going like, I don't agree with how he's treating me, and I don't agree with what he's doing, but I kept fucking uh, accepting it. Hmm. Then when everything happened with the whole Jay situation, he really oh. stabbed me in the back, and he fought and he fucked me over. Um, like. So the Waterloo is a, a well-known venue. Mm. Uh, it's got a lot of big shows there, and you know, like they have the potential to be something really special and really do something brilliant in our scene and help younger bands. However, they're elitist as fuck. They don't help the younger bands. They don't help the the the, the, the young talent coming up. Like on my festival, I put a, a few local bands on. Right, I'd never heard of them. I've been I've been told by, about them by friends. And I wanted to put local bands on the festival mm-hmm. in the midst of the established ones. Yeah. I'd go to him and show him the festival and he'd be like, oh, they're shit. They played here three weeks ago and they only brought 20 people. They're never playing here again. They brought 20 people there because they're a young local band that haven't been given the opportunity. You give them the opportunity and they're going to grow. Yeah. How are they going to grow if you don't give them the opportunity? Exactly. Them off because you booked them for one show. It's one of their first shows because they've got nowhere else to play around here and no one promotes their genre. And they only brought 10 people. And now you're going to say that shit, they only brought 10 people. Fuck you. Fuck your venue. I hope it burns down, you cunt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the exact problem. I mean, you can't bring up new talent. You can't bring up any talent if you're going to cap them because they, for a show, they only brought X amount of people. Yeah, it's about bringing heads through the door. As a promoter myself, it's about selling tickets. Well, for me, it's not solely about make, making money on tickets. It's about making the bands. It's about bringing about them development. It's about Yeah. Like, I've not got a job as a promoter if the local bands aren't given a place to play and they break up. Exactly. That's the thing. That's It's the thing that really annoys me. And that's why I... That's another reason why I really have a fucking go at the Manchester scene because it's like, okay... Yeah, there's bands have their issues, and we'll get to that later. But if you're gonna have venues just being assholes, and it's like, don't be assholes because if you have a reputation of being assholes, somehow at some point that's word's gonna spread, and people are gonna less likely come to your fucking venues and come to your shows because yeah. the guy in charge is gonna be an asshole, and you're gonna lose money just because you just because of your shitty attitude. Also. Yeah. And here's the thing that really pisses me off about Manchester. It's like, we're supposed to be a musical capital of the city, but we're capping musicians. Any time they want to make a small, you know, any little bit of change, I mean, you're cracking down on busking, for one thing. Yeah. And you're basically cracking down on forcing, you know, cracking down on venues, and you're giving these bullshit, stupid curfew times. I mean, it's like a staff, you know, a gig from 7 till 10. Because 11 is going to be a club night. Yeah. Yeah. How, why are you supposed to be the music capital city of the world? If so, why are you limiting so many? Why are you putting such a limit, limitation on live music? Yeah, oh, exactly. also, you, you, you start off as a live music venue and that's your predominant thing. And then club nights come along. So then the gigs suffer. Yeah. So then you, you're, you're saying that you've got to cap the venue at 10 o'clock because the club needs to start. Mm, that's bullshit. And what well, the thing is, I want to go back to Patreon again. The reason why Patreon worked so well because number one, they had two floors. Yeah. So the main floor was like the restaurant area. So Routers had a Russian DJ in the, at nights, and maybe like an acoustic set in the um, daytime. Yeah. Uh, but you had 
in the downstairs area, there was a venue. And what really, what really made it work at Patient is that you had a situation where you had a DJ and a band, a live act, and you worked together. So yeah, absolutely. You, 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 work, you work. Yeah, the club night's important because you want people to stay in the venue after yeah. the gig's finished. But mm-hmm. the gig is bringing people in earlier, so you're making money behind the bar. Yeah. You're making, you know, you're selling a lot more drinks and, and making a lot more money than if that gig wasn't going on and it was just empty before the club. Mm-hmm. So there's no, nothing is more important in terms of status. The club night needs the gig, the gig needs the, the, the club night, yeah. and, the, cl- and the, the venue needs both. Mm. So yeah. the venue needs to treat both with respect in order exactly. to keep that process. If I had a venue, I'd want club nights on. Mm-hmm. However, I'd obviously also want gigs on, and I'd want gigs regularly. Yeah. And for me, if I didn't have those gigs on, I'd just have the club night. People won't be turning up until half 11, half 11. Mm-hmm. So if my venue would be fucking empty, I wouldn't be making money. I'd be, sh- I'd be spending shitloads on overheads, my staff, electric, mm-hmm. all that shit. So you need each other they're yeah. the component it's like a jigsaw puzzle they go together yeah but people people constantly when they're putting shows on venues and, and and other places instead of doing a jigsaw puzzle as it's meant to be they're just fucking cutting you know they're, they're cutting edges off and making yeah. them fit yeah and it doesn't work it just distorts the pitch the whole picture and the whole yeah, exactly it's it's and, and another thing is like so this is something that I actually brought up the other uh, uh, last week was mm-hmm. I when I'm doing shows like I want to be a promoter and the first promoter in Blackpool that's that puts a system in place yeah. um, in order for bands to get paid for shows now like I'm somebody who I've got two kids I've got a house mm-hmm. I've got bills yeah. um and I can't go like do shows and say to each band that I'm going to pay you X amount and then the heads headliners on top yeah. I can't do that because what I did find with the festival is there are a lot of bands around here that don't put the, the, don't put the money in, don't, sorry, don't put the effort in to promote. Yeah. So if you're a band who are booked on a show two months in advance and it's a decent show and you don't bring anybody and you don't promote that show, you don't you're deserve to get paid. Yeah. But However, yeah. you deserve to get paid for hard work. You yeah. deserve to get paid for effort and you deserve to get paid for bringing people in. There you go. Also, when you think about like getting paid X amount, you might actually, you know, if you think about it, you, if you think maybe they'd bring more people than they get paid for, so that you might be just capping those people. Yeah, so well, the more tickets they me, sell, the more they actually make. For me, exactly. For me, as a promoter, obviously I want to make money. I mm-hmm. love the live music and I yeah. love being a part of it, but I do yeah. want to make money. I don't want to keep losing my ass. On the festival, I lost, I lost about four grand. Um, and it's not something that I want to continually do. It's not something that Heidi will let me continually do if this happens. Yeah, of course. However, I want to be somebody that puts something in place to say to bands, right, your hard work, your effort, and your fan base will be rewarded. Yeah, exactly. If you you sell a minimum of X amount of tickets, Mm -hmm. you're going to walk away with a bit of money. Now, that's not not capped. That's not limited. So if you do a show and you bring fucking 50 people... You're gonna walk away with a decent amount because yeah, yeah I'm gonna to want to make some money, and I've got my people to pay. Well, yeah. you've worked, you've worked hard for your money, mm-hmm. and you've worked hard to bring those people in, so you deserve some of that money too. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I mean, obviously, for my situation, I have a certain way of working. It's like either a fee or I get paid for like the first ticket that from the first ticket I sell. But 
at the same time, 10 people for me is not that hard to get. Not for our yeah. band, not that hard to get. We can get about, what, 50, 60 in the door. Well, like, for me, I've, I've looked at it and I've gone like, right, so as a band, like, mm -hmm. if you sell the minimum 10 tickets, you could, and, and the show is, you know, uh, £10 advance, £15 yeah. or £5 or whatever, if you sell ten, uh, a minimum of 10 tickets, you're going to walk away with 30 quid or yeah. something like that. Now, if you carry on and you carry on working and you promote and you get more people to bring it, then you're going to walk away with more. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not putting it as like you're going to make one pound a ticket. That's not what I'm doing. Like no. I'm saying, right? If it's the a show, split, right? If the show is a fiver advance mm -hmm. and you sell X amount, then you get a decent cut. Yeah. Like I'm not. Like some people out there, and like I want to make this really clear because some people have said like it sounds like pay to play. It's not. You don't have to promote and bring people you can still play the show and if you do well you'll get booked back however yeah. you're not going to get you're not going to get a, a high looks like status in those bands that do work hard and do bring people there you go it's... not only have they have they played a good show but they've also put some effort into it to, to, to be proud and work yeah. you know like you know as, as i mentioned i mentioned about sort of like an office or something like you you can't go and work at a regular job and do fuck all for the week and get paid at the end of it. Yeah. Like, you being watched in the show as a band, your job isn't just getting on stage. Your job is to promote it and bring people there as well. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's my take on it. I mean, obviously, I'm always going to be on the side of bands because, like, yeah. a lot of... A lot I'm of on the side of bands. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm on that side. I want, yeah. I want to give the band something. But I think... Bands, their job is to bring their own people, their own fans, to their shows. Yeah. For them. So, yeah, at the same time, I personally don't want to be playing in a dead venue. It's, what's the point of me going out there? I could, you know, if I'm going to play to a dead pet venue with nobody yeah. in there, I'd rather just stay at home. Oh, it's soul destroying. It's soul destroying. Yes. When you walk out on stage and there's four people there, yeah. three of them are bar star. Mm -hmm. It's fucking soul destroying. It's sad. But here's, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, my band, Ngubu, will put the effort, there's, what, seven, eight of us, will put the effort out and will bring a shitload of people in between, you know, between us. Yeah. So it's not, they say, you're going to have a busy venue with, you know, give us a oh, yeah, for sure. However, I'd say give us like a month in advance so we can promote it properly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I always say with the ticket thing, like there are it's gonna change if you if someone drops out and you come on last minute, yeah. it's gonna change slightly. You know, this it's a system that I'm gonna put in place that can be altered and can work for the bands. Yeah. You just you just like you're on the side of the bands, like I like I am as well, very much so to the point where like there are so many promoters out there that will pay the headliners and the subs and not offer anything to any of the other bands. Here's the like, thing. Not even being asked. Like, not even it being fucking... You don't get a drink out of it. Is that... Oh, no. That. Here's the thing. I've been in gigs where not even the headline is being paid. So it's like... And it's like you're expected to sell tickets and you're supposed to give them an X amount of tickets or else you're not going to play the show. Fuck that. No. Yeah. At the end of the day... At the end of the day, I accept the fact that you need to sell tickets to make a show work. Yeah. However, I believe I believe in hard work, working your ass off. I don't believe in working your ass off for other people for nothing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, Absolutely not. I am not. I am not doing a show 
where I am expected to work hard to do someone else's job for them. Yeah. I think... The, the biggest part of this, and this is such a, like, this is something that has become like a really good, a really good topic, a really good discussion for us to talk about. Like, for, what people don't understand is if we all work together mm-hmm. as a team, it fucking works out better. Yeah. What there you just you said then is perfect. You shouldn't have to work to bring people down to see the show, to see your band, but obviously, hopefully, they'd stick around for the show. Yeah. You haven't done that work and put those hours in and got those tickets sold. For then you to get nothing back out of it, and the headliner to, to uh, the headliner and promoter to run away with a, like a swag money. Not like even that. Size. Not even that. It's like I didn't work this hard to try and push these tickets just to just so at the end of the day I have to owe a promoter money. Yeah. No. I'm like, not paying this fucking. Yeah. That should never ever be a thing. Like, let no. me make that very fucking clear. Like, yeah. fans should never ever accept a gig where they have a a certain amount of tickets that they have to sell and give the promoter the money for nothing they yeah. should ne- like like with my system like i'm saying like there's got to be a minimum of five ten tickets to be sold before you get paid yeah not before you play like you can you don't have to sell any you yeah. know what i mean like you don't have to like the incentive is there for you to try and get paid yeah. for your work. i think it's you get paid after that five tickets you get paid for those five tickets plus more that you sell right yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's not capped. that's a fair. Like, that's a fair. That's actually fair. So like, obviously, so you know, obviously, like, my system. Is, show, yeah. Like, it's there's a minimum because mm-hmm. if you don't sell that minimum, then I'm still got my overheads to pay. Yeah, exactly. But if you're like, I put it this way, and somebody still tried to argue it, and it blew my fucking mind. If you're in a band of five people, yeah, you, I, say, I say, I say, you only have to sell ten tickets minimum to walk out with a tenner. Right, and then you carry on selling, and you can walk away with fucking loads. You know, like it's you. You come to a show and you bring fifty people. You're walking out with a different wage. Yeah. Right. If a band is of five people and you can't bring two people each to a show, that is like you're playing with a big band like Crazy Town, say, then you're not ready. Maybe you shouldn't have been on that show. You're not ready. If you can't do that, you're not ready to be on the show. If you exactly. can't do that. Instead of basically putting your time in trying to get on a show, put your time back. Go back to the studio yeah. and work on your marketing. Exactly. Like work on you, your marketing. If you're, if you're on marketing. a certain show, so like there was bands on the festival, right? Mm-hmm. There was bands on the second day of the festival, like playing before Mallory Knox. Mallory mm-hmm. Knox are a fucking huge band. They played the main stage of Red and Lee's. They played uh, Radio One's Big Weekend. They're fucking huge. And there were some bands on there that didn't bring one person, and uh, they were booked. They were booked for months. Now, if you're in a band and that I've put you on this festival and you haven't brought one person, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, not only are you playing a festival that was in Koran, it was in, it was like in Discover magazine that went out like uh, 60,000 editions got printed of that that uh, magazine that my poster was in and got sent out to Grove Rock Festival. If you're on a festival that size and you can't bring one or two people, then I'm going to look at you guys and go, right, not only are you not ready, but like I've kicked off a band on the festival that had been booked since day one. They were, they, they, one of their members worked in the, in the venue and he was in a band and like, he got on the, on the festival. He'd been booked for 11 months and they only shared the poster once. That's stupid. But yeah, I, I got shit off the band and got called unprofessional. For kicking them off because they didn't they didn't sell they didn't promote if you're not promoting your shows 
you're, you're not doing your job. Your job isn't just to turn up and play a show. Your, your job is to promote and help the show. You're, supposed, you you're supposed to want to thing. play in front of people. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. He's, it's, and I will rag, obviously I'll rag on promoters in this seat for the same thing because it's like... Yeah, promote, there's some promoters out there that don't promote their do not, Yeah. Like, and then you'll turn up to the show and the venue won't know that there's a show on. I've done yeah. that before. Oh no, there was a situation where that happened. There was, um, it was a King's Arms. This was back when I was with Captivators full time. Literally, we were we were actually promoting that shit on Facebook. Yeah. On the event. And I come to find out that, oh, by the way, the promoters basically ran off. And it's like, and the bar staff did not know that there was a show going on. Yeah. So we had to scram for everything to make sure that we, we got at least a couple of people in the place. And it was just, it was soul destroying, but we just kept on doing it. Yeah. Because, so you know, we honored that day. And also, it's, I'm speaking of like, festivals and bringing people i want to talk i really want to talk about this okay. um, i was involved in a festival called sonder festival and um, we talked about this briefly uh, during the whole jay situation yeah and it was one of the reasons why i knew that i, I knew that what happened with you and jay i knew the same situation was bullshit and you'd been set up because the same thing happened to my one of the my friend who was actually uh, the founder of sonder festival yeah he got the same shit now, um, starting the story, um, my story started when I wanted to finally hire a consultant for the Captivators to obviously to really kind of boost the market and really get them on the right track because I felt that they were slipping. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he's uh, he was one of those who actually, um, even though he was a white guy from Barnsley, he actually really do, did believe that the black music scene was going to be the thing that's going to change Manchester for the better. Yeah. And he was one of those, like, really promote. Really was one of those guys that tirelessly tried to change the scene. And he was one, you know, he was one of the first few people that started doing the like, the music the music industry networking um, events as well. Yeah. He'd set those up. Um, he did a lot of social events and he helped try to, like, um, manage and... He helped try to manage and consult, consult with a lot of other bands and give them kind of like targets and, you know, give them the right directions and give them advice to them. Yeah. Um, he was someone who was actually cha changing the scene for the better. Obviously, he weren't talked about. Uh, basically, he he basically had this gig called Sonder. He had this festival called Sonder. Uh, yeah. it was previously, it was running for since 2015, 16 and it was one of those where it was like it was making the you know it was, unlike most festivals it made like it broke even yeah so oh my god what i've done for my festival to break even but yeah exactly. I, I, I know the concept <laughs> yeah oh no yeah it's ridiculous but no it was one of those situations where there was a lot of times you know he'd get a lot of shit for it shit for a lot of things because things didn't work out in 2017 there was like oh, a yeah. there was like a something like a venue cancelled on them last last week last minute i was like that was a venue that i was going to play and i was pissed off about it yeah but that was a situation um there was obviously a situation where my the guru's first proper gig was at a football stadium and one of his staff accidentally basically fucked up the timings so we had to go at the staff but he ended up just giving us on you know putting us on there and honestly god all the people that were there, nobody fucking 
nobody at nobody actually fucking left. Everybody was in when we when everyone was on, you know, everyone was just basically just, you know, either just watching or just moving around or getting drinks and blah blah blah. Every single motherfucker when we were on, every single motherfucker was there, no talking, no fucking going to the bar, no going to the toilet, anything. They were there. They watched everything. Yeah. And that was just like, yeah, you knew that we needed to go on last for that for that shit. And basically, it's you know, we I basically proved that yeah, I'm one of those motherfuckers who's gonna change shit. Yeah. Um, then that, we got that's, that's the way that I that's the way that I feel about about Blackpool. Just to sort of like yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I I I looked at the live scene before I moved here and saw there wasn't one and was like, well, I've now got contacts i know a lot of bands a lot of bands know me i i need something needs to be done because this is blackpool this isn't fucking some buttfuck country in yorkshire like you know yeah. surrounded by fields this is a big place and if there's not a live scene here then there's something going on you know what i mean like so like i need to change that you know yeah. i know enough amazing bands amazing artists that can play here that will love to play here and build this scene up if you've got that passion to to do something, you see that something needs to be done and you do it. I find that not only are you an amazing human being to try and fill that gap and try and do something different and try and try and make something better. However, you're also somebody that will open yourself up to a lot of people taking advantage and taking the piss out of you. Yes, yes. And I want to continue from this because it is so relevant. So... Um, there is no... Unfortunately, we're an industry, mate, and so many people know this, where if you're nice, if you're a decent human being, if you're a good guy, it's not seen as you being nice, decent, and a, hum- a good human being. It's seen as you being weak, it's seen yeah. as you being vulnerable, and it seems as you being an easy target. Mm-hmm. Please continue. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, um, he was one of those, and he was also very, he was a smart guy, and he knew the issues, the issues and the problems that were arising in magic and one of the things that he you know and he got you know he he got a lot of flack and criticism for upsetting the balance basically just exposing the bullshit so for example he was telling like a lot of bands um who usually play the open mic scene guys you know stops overplaying the fucking scene in the city center it's not it's counterproductive and it's not going to increase it's going to hurt your fan base yeah so try and you know, try and spread yourself a little bit. Try and spread yeah. yourself out. And also, yeah. another, another big thing, and this is, this is another one for fans, like, yeah, playing as many shows as you can makes you better, grows you as a, get, you know, you get better a better unit as a band. But playing 15 shows in a month in the same town in yeah. Manchester, not only, uh, yeah, you might get better as a band, but you're going to completely wear out the fan base completely wear out everybody and you're going to find that yeah you might be the most shit hot incredible band but if you play the same venue more than i would say more more than twice a month is too much you'll find that people just don't come like no matter how good you are if you play the same place too often people don't come they're not gonna we're in an age where money is so important a lot you know People aren't going to pay, even if it's three pounds for a show, to see a band that they saw two weeks before or a week before. Like, there's a massive difference between wanting to grow and wanting to become better and wanting to get your name out there, and oversaturating, overplaying. Exactly. Over, like, exactly. it's, it's counterproductive. So it's one of the very, very, very 
very many issues I have in the man this, the music scene in general. I see a lot of this from the yeah, I see a bit of it from kind of like the hip hop grind scene, but yeah. I see most of it coming from the indie scene and the acoustic scene, and it's just like. Just because you play four or five nights doesn't mean you're, you know, developing into a big star. And I'm yeah, gonna have to call, yeah, I have to call his name. I mean, the biggest offender is a guy called that I know called Adam Snape. Uh, nice guy, but he's got such an unbearable ego and such a warped sense of what the industry is supposed to be. It's pro- such a it's problematic. It really is problematic. And even worse, I just like. You're doing all these gigs and you're doing it for free and you're bragging like that's supposed to be a good thing. Yeah. Um, you, this is what you've been, you've been on this scene since before I've probably been alive and nobody cares about you anymore. That's such a good point. Like, you, there's so many people and there are so many bands that I know that do it that, that promote and go like, we've, we've played like 100 shows this year, man. Like, we're absolutely rocking it. Like, it's been fucking such a good year. And then you look at it and it's been pretty much bi-weekly in the same venue for the same promoter in the same area and in actuality out of those 100 shows you might have played 10 that have actually had a crowd yeah exactly playing loads of shows doesn't make you a big band going to a promoter and saying uh please come and book me and you should pay me x amount because we've done 50 shows this year that means jack shit it means fuck all what what, what's the quality been like on those shows exactly other thing I know that Google's played a hell of a lot of shows over the over the, like the two years we've been together. Yes, some of them's been in the same venue, like maybe just less than maybe once or twice a month. But yeah. that's just because it's a you it's know not, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. However, however, the numbers have always been consistent. Oh, well, so I don't know, I, Yeah, that's the numbers being consistent because. The thing is, we like with this, like the thing, the patron, like we do function stuff as well, and we go under a def- different name. So, I mean, we used to do like original stuff there, but we just thought, you know what, we'd separate the function stuff and the cover stuff from the original stuff. Yeah, man. So, the money stuff that we get in there will fund the original stuff. So, when we put on our own shows, we'll have a shitload of people there. And guess what? We've booked two shows out of our own money. Both of those shows, we made a profit. And that's that's a that's a big thing. And like yeah. you just you just said something as well, like about we might have played the same venue more than two, three times each month, but our numbers have never dipped. If you're in that position where you're in a band like yourselves, and this is where genres differ, because for me, like if a metalcore band plays three three shows in the same venue in even a month, yeah. like two of those will they won't bring anybody. Yeah. Like and there are some really good bands out there that do need to be given the opportunities. But if they've already been given an opportunity that month or that, you know, within two, three month period, give someone else that shot. Yeah, yeah. that band are amazing and they're fucking going to bring it, but they've, you've, you've used them. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, do you remember, do you remember like a football manager or, or like Extreme Wrestling Revolution? Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. the, the foot, like football manager for wrestling. And it's like, if you have an amazing wrestler like AJ Styles and you go on a show and you know he's amazing. You know he's going to have five-star matches, but you use him twice in a night. Wow. One of those matches are going to be shit. Yeah. Like, if it's the same with bands. Like, yeah, they're good, and they, they bring a lot of people, so you should bring them on a show, or you should book them 
you know, for, for, for whatever. However, if you've used them in a certain time frame, you need to put someone else in that slot. Yeah, you need to because, put, they need to fall back. Because, yeah, exactly. Because as good as they are, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to grow and they're not going to, and here's another thing. And another thing, an example of why we actually take this on board, there was, um, well, there was a source of like, we did a joint, like, in a groove kind of thing. Um, and Wayne, my cousin, um, for, uh, who's like the head guy of In The Groove, he wanted me to bring Nguvu there at Matt and Fred's. So like a joint promotion thing, yeah. a joint gig. I had to turn that down from Nguvu because we already had Band on the Wall that Sunday. Okay. And, and they were pretty much, you know, they were pretty much they were close together in the same area, still in the Northern Quarter. Yeah. So it was just like, it's not that I don't want to do the gig. I would love to do a Mountain Threads. Mountain Threads is one of my goals to do. Yeah. Obviously, I did it because I was um, playing for In A Groove. But it's like, I don't want to oversaturate the dates that I am because I'm playing a Friday and then I'm playing a, a Sunday afterwards. So yeah, it's too much. And here's the thing, like, both shows that we played, Mountain Threads and Band of the Wall, they were both packed to fuck. Both Which is... Which is like, which goes to show that like it. There are situations where it's acceptable, and there are mm. situations where it works. But I think a lot of the time, like it just, it's just it's so counterproductive that for everybody involved, the promoter, the venue, the 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 show that you're booking them on, like it just yeah. is a counterproductive thing. And also, like, like it does, it does make it that much harder for the young. Even young to middle bands that are starting out that are trying to get those spots yeah. and are clawing and will do anything to get them, it makes it that much harder for them to get those spots. Like because there are people who you, are. If you've got a group of bands that you go to for every show, like what's going to happen when one of those guys, like, one of those bands, like you know, they fucking they drop out or they like they can't they're not available or or yeah. they break up and like mm -hmm. you're left you're left now with uh, a a. A reputation of somebody that doesn't book bands and uh, that doesn't treat people well, yeah. and now your main the, your main group of bands that you go to all the time, you know, yeah. they're dipping. Like, it's it's just it like yeah, counterproductive. And like, I think like the the big thing is like I I for me like I see like bands, promoters, venues, booking agents, management all seem to be one group fighting. Sometimes for most of the time, the same cause and the same fight but they're fighting against each other yeah so instead of everybody working together and all going if we actually have a, a conversation and a, a, a talk about this yeah. we'll actually realize that we're all on the same page and we're all trying to do the same thing but because we're all in our own little groups we're, yeah. we're fucking up so much yeah like, i think and it, there's and a and i think also there are members in our own groups that are fucking are basically are fucking up and they're just doing a horrible job. Whether it's bands being disrespectful, unprofessional, or, or unreliable, whether promoters being absolute scumbags, whether it's venue managers being incompetent, you know, it's it on all sides. Like for me, like I want to make a really big point, and like for me, this is something that is is so big. Like when. The, the topic that we the discussion that we've just talked talked for about forty five minutes about, and talking about like shows and bands being you know bands like actually putting some effort in and promoters and venues doing like doing the same and all working.
for the same goal. Like, I need to make a point that, like, this is... You don't understand how important and how how big this is for everybody. If you're in a band and you think, like, no matter how big you are, if you think it's acceptable to jump on a show and either play for free, which, like like I said, I'm trying to put something in place to stop that, or you're, you're a band that is lucky enough to be able to ask for a fee and get paid it, if you're if you're one of the if you're either of those, if you're a band that will jump on a show and not do anything, not put any effort, not promote it one bit, and not try to bring people down, not only to see you but to the show, like you don't understand how much of a cunt you are. Because at the end of the day, every show that is booked, there are bands on there that are getting paid. There is a venue that needs to be paid, and that the person that's paying it is the promoter. The person that's paying it is the person that you have asked to put you on that show, that has been you has asked you to put on that show. That person is paying that wage at the end of the night. And if you're somebody who will jump on a show and not do anything to promote it, to, to try, like I say, to try and sell tickets, to try and bring people in, to not try and play your part, if you're one of them people that thinks it's above you, or you think, you, you think it's beneath you to do that, or you think putting money into Facebook advertising is your way of promoting shows. You're a cunt. You don't deserve to be on shows. And you are fucking up the scene for everybody. Because there are so many promoters out there that are... And I've seen it so much this year. And I know it's a bit of a tangent, but it needs to be said. Like I know so many people, so many hardworking, dedicated promoters out there that have been doing this for longer than I've been alive. And there's so many people that are fucking retired from this this year because they can't put any more money into it. And they like my my old manager, uh, Dan Benson, he's the the um the founder of Fall in the Brawl. He used to which is a, a, a three day slam festival slam deathcore festival in, in Rebellion. He used to be my manager. Like he is the most hardworking, dedicated person I've ever met. And I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he's walking away from music like this year, like he's doing his festival and that's it. He's quitting. Okay. And he's the most dedicated motherfucker you'll ever meet. He lives and breathes it. He's like me. And he's walking away. And the reason that he's walking away is because he's he's lost nearly 50 grand this year. That's yep. no joke. He's lost 50,000 pounds on putting on shows and having bands not do their work, venues fuck him over, bands be cunts and, and, and fucking, you know, like he's lost that amount of money, and and the bands you don't see that. You see a show as something to come and play and have an awesome time, and be rock stars. But it, it, you know, it costs money. And at the end of the day, the most hardworking, dedicated people that put on shows, the most dedicated and hardcore vest, uh, venues that want to put on shows, are not going to be able to do it if you don't fucking pull your finger out. You don't right. actually put some effort in to actually. Do you know what? Like. When you start out doing shows, like everybody's got this image in their mind of wanting to play big shows, wanting to play festivals, wanting to play arenas, and wanting to be this big band. Everyone's got those dreams, everyone's got those aspirations. Like everyone's got those aspirations to be just a good, solid, known musician. You know what I mean? Like we've all got our dreams and aspirations. You're never ever going to get those dreams if you don't show, you don't act like it means the fucking world to you. If you don't promote the shows, like it, it means like everything if you don't fucking promote those shows and this is going to be the best show like your parents are going to be killed in front of you if you don't put that level of energy and effort into it and passion then eventually you're going to find that 
there's no promoters, there's no venues because they're all getting turned into nightclubs, and those situations are no those those chances are taken away from you. And it's right. come out to this as well. Please do. Yeah, and here's the thing. We're gonna we're gonna, finish, we're gonna, too, sorry, we're gonna finish up on this. I've got I've got one like really really in, like big thing that I want to bring up and ask you. And then yeah. no, we'll do we'll do it after the, we finish. We've wrapped up on this topic. I've got one thing to to bring up with you, and then we're gonna get onto the album swap and, cl- and close it up. We've been going for an hour and a half now, so we're yeah. gonna close it up. So but please please carry on, make your point. Here's the thing: everybody has to fucking play their part. At the end of the day. If you don't, if you can't put the effort in, if you, I mean, if you can't, if you can't, you know, play a certain venue or you can't bring a certain amount of people, don't bring the, you know, don't play the venue. There's no shame in doing that. There's no shame in saying you're not ready. Uh, you know, I'd rather, you, you know, you're better off not being ready to play a certain event and trying to play a certain event and falling short in terms of not bringing any people because you're going to suffer from it at the end of the day. Yeah. Now, I will say this. I will agree that if you don't put the effort in as a band, then you shouldn't be you shouldn't be here. However, I will say this to any other promoter as well. If you think at the end of the day, if you are using like certain things such as a pay to play, yeah, as just as an insurance policy or as an excuse so you don't actually have to put in the effort to do anything, then you are basically fucking up for every other promoter in there. Yeah. You are one of the people, you are what you are just as bad as a cunt who expect to be paid and don't do shit. Yeah, absolutely. You, don't do, you do not do shit, and these are these apply to a lot of promoters, and you expect, basically, you can't even do, do anything even decently, decently to a point that you can't even give, I don't know, you know, your acts a decent discount on drinks yeah well they're putting all the efforts and basically they're doing your job for you and you can't even you know accommodate them or you can't even give them a, a fair dividends and a fair dues yeah then you are part of the problem and you need to be cut out i i think i think that's like for me the final point on on this bit for, for, for me and what you said I always try to do things, I always push my shit because A, I want to get paid, or I'll, even if I ask for a free, which I'll do, I mean, I'll go, I'll go for shows for at least 600, now it goes up to 800, but it doesn't mean I won't put the fucking effort into, you yeah. know. If you're going to ask for a fee like that, mate, you, yeah. you know, you've got to show your worth as well, like, that's what I was saying, like, you can't ask for a fee, even if you're a band and ask for 50 quid, and you you don't put the effort in, you don't deserve that money. It's not about turning up and playing. It's the whole thing. And this is why I always ask venues for every single detail. Yeah. Selling times, location, you know, where the fucking fire exits are, what this tech spec is. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly the fucking, obviously the um, drinks and the curfew and everything. Um what what are your fucking also like little ideas like with. yeah what you're working with what are your drink deals as well that's another thing I yeah, mean no ideas like these drink deals for certain shows what can we do 
because at the end of the day, sometimes in a lot of venues, it's not even the then it's not even the ticket money that makes the most money. It's a bar. Yeah, it's a bar that makes the most money. And the thing is, it's like if you're just sort of promoting, it's just like oh, we'll just do a we'll just have a variety show or, or just a show without even actually doing the you know make putting. It's also your responsibility to do your research on bands, not only just on Facebook or like. You know how much likes they are, how much of a following they have, because you. I know you obviously at the same time you need to give people a chance, but you also need to balance things in terms of what they're willing to do and how much of a, you know, how much effort they can bring and how many people they can bring to a show. Um, yeah. But also, if you're not doing your research and you're just putting haphazard bands on, then you can't get mad. Where if things don't work out, because you need to, the part of being a promoter is also doing your research and knowing the actual scene and knowing what bands are, you know, organizing the right type of people for the right type of show and the right amount of bands. Yeah. So like, you can't book me for a fucking random metal band metal night and expect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's gonna make sense. You bring a lot of people there. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're not gonna see. I'm not gonna. I'll tell you this much. I ain't playing in Zombie Shack. Fuck that. I played a Sony Zombie Shack, and it was that place has no uh, air conditioning. Oh. By the time I went on stage, I was breathing out of my ass. Like, there was no ventilation whatsoever. Like, which, I'm just going to wrap this bit up and yeah. say, like, for me, the biggest point that has been brought up by yourself, and this is something like, if you're a band, if, like, if you're an artist, you should never, ever, ever accept a gig on a pay-to-play basis. No. You never, ever accept a, a, a show where it says you have to, you have to play, uh, you have to sell a certain amount of tickets or you're not playing. Yeah, and if you do, it's on you, basically. I did, I, you yeah, do. I did that in the early days and it's, it, you know, it gives you, the thing is, like, there should be pressure on the bands to promote because, like I say, it's part of your job. There shouldn't yeah. be pressure on the bands to try and promote, otherwise they're going to get there. Having sold tickets and not play and not be yeah. respected. Or, but, Never, or, ever, ever yeah. take a show that is pay-to-play or a venue or a promoter that asks for yeah. money uh, yeah. from you in advance. Because there's, there's people yeah. out there that say, if you give me 30 quid, you know, I'll put you on a big show. No. Just never, ever do that shit, man. It is not the way forward. It is no. not the way to do it. And it, no. it's not the respectable thing for... Also, also those shows are very... Um, kind of just first up, uh, just put the lights on there. Uh, <laughs> if so, I'm just I'm just recording the audio from this. So also, Jamal's put Jamal's put his uh, his camera on, even though yeah. I'm just I'm just recording the, the audio. So I, I just like for the, whole, for the whole interview, I I get to like I've I've got to see like Jamal like all close next to the, the yeah. camera, like sitting back, like and if you're wondering, he's got a very very nice living room. Yeah. Also, one of the things also is like 99 of those pay to play gigs are just horribly, horrifically unorganized. Yeah. So my my last my last point that I want to bring up before we do the album swap and wrap it up is yeah. um like uh, you're you're obviously in you're a a, a fusion band like you do funk so Afro Caribbean mm-hmm. yeah uh, and, and that sort of thing and um it's no it's no uh, secret and I hope nobody gets offended by me saying this but you're a black person yeah. right last <laughs> time it's next you're a you're a black gentleman right yeah. that's not like there's it's like, okay. There's so, many, so, many people out there, so many people out there that go, you can't say that. Like, why? Oh. It's, it, he is a black person. Like, this, it's, it's like, it's okay. It's, it's just 100% fact. But 
So yeah, so you're 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 a, a, a yeah. black drummer in an Afro an Afro Caribbean sort of fusion band. Um, have, yeah. Like for me, my last question for you, my last thing I I, I would like to know is, have, have you ever experienced or do you experience racism yeah. in uh, within the 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 scene and? Yeah. You were experienced in the early days or still something you've experienced now um it's one of those i mean like like it's got a lot of history behind it i mean like in the city center like a lot of during like the whole manchester thing a lot of black bands got kicked out and pushed out of the city center but that's obviously another story for another time but myself there was a situation where i was actually playing at grafton arms in around 2005 like summer 2005, I was supporting a band. I don't care if I'm naming names and showing these fuckers called Control of the Going. And it was a situation where it was just two acts, me and them, us and them. And they basically wanted, needed to borrow a guitar amp and a drum kit. And we basically did just that. And okay. fair enough, they were terrible. <laughs> If you, if you turn up to a venue for a show that you're playing and you have to borrow something off the band there and then, you'd nine times out of ten, you shit. Yeah. And when it, the thing is, what really annoyed me when it came to us playing, because uh, uh, at the time her bass player, the then bass player's girl, uh, fiance was um, in attendance. I mean, our bass player's fiance was in attendance. And basically, what happened is that. Uh, those guys got off with their mates, went outside for a cig, laughed at us. Oh wow! And yeah. basically, but had made fun, made fun of us for being a black band. I, and it's just black band playing black music, and it's like we obviously we were there pretty much playing, so we didn't really know much. But we was like, why the fuck have they just disappeared and just taken all their friends with them? Yeah, especially after we fucking did the noble professional thing of, yeah, uh, we could yeah. easily just turn around and told you to get fucked. And I've had the know, same, mate, because because obviously I do uh, solo metalcore, yeah, and I, I basically uh, did covers of band and stuff, but just myself, the backing track, yeah. And the amount of shows that I've had where I've I've had people that go outside for for a sake and they're just like, what the fuck is this gun doing? Like, like it's. Like, I've had it a lot, like, a lot, a lot, which is why I wanted to bring up the racism thing, because yeah. even though, obviously, uh, I've not encountered racism, that yeah. would be pretty, pretty hard. Um, like, for me, like, I've had similar, something that you could sort of connect to it in the sense of, like, I have been, Dismissed. I've been treated very differently and very much outcasted and, yes. and as, a, as, as a different, yeah. different human being for doing what I, what I did. Doing something different. And it's, um, and it's yeah, it's it just like it just goes to show that like the reason I wanted to wrap it up on this question is because I wanted to say like like we've talked a lot about like like I I just so I've I've been messaging uh, my my fiance whilst yeah. whilst we've been doing this like and uh and so, so like she's she is gonna put Ollie in the bath and yeah. she's waiting so we've wrapped so so we've wrapped up so we don't get it on the audio and um. I was uh I was messaging her and she was like it's fine you know you go as long as you want are you enjoying it I was, and I just literally said like I'm incredibly proud of this this episode and can't wait to get it out because what we've talked about and how we've gone about it um yeah. it like I'm I'm really gonna push this one hard because I think a lot of people will benefit from it and I think a lot of people like 
we we have we've talked about some Definitely. some sort of touchy touchy subjects and things that other people wouldn't talk about and not only have we talked about it with passion and, yeah. and and energy we've we've also like tried to offer help and advice and i yeah, think that's like exactly. that's, um that's something that you know i'm really really proud of this yeah. like is it like so um so yeah like if you want to like we're going to wrap up this bit and then we're going to get on to yeah, the, last, the last bit, which yeah. I'm really excited for. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there are quite a few issues that I haven't addressed, but if I'm if I'm able to, can I address them right at the end, please? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, like awesome. we're we're, um, we're, we're we're hitting on 130. What, 138. We're hitting on a, a one hour forty. So we're going to do this last bit, and then when we wrap up, you can yeah. you can throw some final points, and uh, and then we'll do we'll finish up. So so for the, for this sort of like last last segment and I hope, if, you, if you guys are listening i really hope that you've enjoyed this and this is something that is a little bit of fun and i want to do with, with every guest and basically um what i'm going to do is an album swap which is basically i give a an album or, or, or ep for uh my guests to listen to and they give me one and we talk about it now what i wanted to do with this is i wanted to stray away from sort of like giving him the new slipknot album or the new corn album mm. because like like I said, like last week's episode, those are the albums that are really that are really sort of already talked about by so many podcasts and, and magazines. Like I want to talk about, I want to swap the lesser known ones. Yeah. So, um, so I'm gonna let you go first. Mm-hmm. And um, so the album that I gave to Jamal was um, the debut album that was out last year, that was brought out last year, called Dissonance from A Sleep mm-hmm. at the Helm. They are a just a quick uh, uh, a, a sort of synopsis of that band because I'm going to do a special uh, this week, which is uh, talking about uh, the best sort of releases in the past year from underground bands, and this is on there. Um, Asleep at the Helm are a young metalcore band from Bolton. They uh, consist of uh, five members, and uh, they're all under the age of 25. Some are, some are like some are like you know really quite young, and um they for, for me i love this band they were on the festival however i thought this was going to be a good album to give Jam- to jamal because mm-hmm. it wasn't just straight up metalcore it's got a lot of different sub things going on yeah. in it so jamal take it away so for me um listening at this i mean i'm not Hey, this is coming from obviously a place of ignorance in terms of like my knowledge of metalcore or anything like that. So obviously, if I miss, you know, I use some inappropriate terms or if I, you know, get things wrong, please forgive me. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, first of all, like off the bat, um, the dissonance intro and the transition to the first track, official track, Unstoppable. That really, to me, that really set up the whole entire feel for the track. Yeah. So it was basically, it was like, do you know how um, in a story, you know, you have, you know, you a well-written story is pretty much, you know, you set up your scenarios, you set up your characters, you set up your goals and your conflicts. That yeah. pretty much would, dissonance into Unstoppable, it was that for me. Um, for... I mean, I'm just. This is a quick browser of everything, and just little highlights that I've um, stood out for me. The guitar intro with, for the, this curse, bam, that got me hooked on it. Um, like just going from the ideas of going from like 
soft to loud is and it's also a technique that i like to use for um for some of my songwriting and some of my compositions so i really is fun that it's really very fun that i hear this in that this in the in this curse and it was bam that really got me that really basically got me hooked on it yeah mash my head but <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that often um like singularity was a good break from a monotony because I thought like as good as the album was and how it sounded, it was getting a little bit too samey in terms of like the groove and the rhythms, rhythm and the kind of um, feel of it. Yeah. So I think that helped bring back more kind of like rhythmic interest in there and bring back a little bit of uh, variety back as well. Yeah. So. Um, just so it stops it being very, very, very tropey, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Fall to Ruin. Like, it was just one of their singles? Yeah. Fall to Ruin was a heavy-ass fucking groove at the start. That was a perfect start. I think for that, that groove, what they hit, simple as it was, was what it needed. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes uh, you don't need something that's like so intricate and so technical. Sometimes no. simple isn't, you know, doesn't sort of show a limitation for bands. Sometimes no. simple can always, um, sometimes simple can work. Simple in the right places can be more effective. Yeah. I mean, you can't be too fucking, you can't be too fucking bored, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can't, be too, you can't be paint by no, no numbers, but sometimes yeah. something, some... Uh, for a band, or because like for you, you're you're a really technical band. I'm not going to yeah. speak about it yet, but like, so sometimes like just a, a nice little sort of like simple element, or mm. you know, like it's, it's a simple sort of bar, bar, like simple bar is it just it works and just sort of throws something. Yeah. Some, some, sometimes. Speaking of speaking of simplicity, um, I actually thought like the reimagining of death, death is for no um hear no voices just for the end of the track i think that was it was threw me off a little because it was like with all that heavy shit and at the start yeah you go back down into acoustic and it's like ooh, yeah but it kind of their rubber rubber single yeah Mm. it does work it's it's for me i think the reason i threw this to you is because there are it's not like i said it wasn't just a straight old metalcore album where Mm. you've got 12 tracks of just you know, uh, intro, verse, uh, sub-chorus, chorus, mm. second verse, chorus, breakdown, and yeah. like, this has got like different elements to it, and I think I think for a young band on their first their first release, that is uh, promising. Yeah, definitely. I think it's very promising. I mean, I mean, I'm not always a. a for me, acoustic stuff can be very, very hit and miss. Yes, it can do. It can I be very hit and miss. Yeah, it was extremely hit and miss, but it works for it because it's it's like an end of it's like an end of their journey. If that makes sense. Yeah, and reach their destination. So the little <laughs> crazy shit that's happened in the middle of that path, it's all over, and they're basically their home. Yeah, that's what I feel. That's how I felt. Overall, you sent, you sent me a message. Mm-hmm. You like. Before before I asked you to rate out of ten, you sent me a message and I said keep it all for the episode. What was that one thing that you said? I think the album's production value is on point. Right. This is why this is why I got excited about it. Would you believe it me when I say that this was all recorded DIY in house in Brandon's 
uh, in Brandon Town. Like that would actually surprise me, believe it or not, because I look, some of the stuff that we did for the tracks on the record trackings we actually did um, in uh, our saxophone player's room. Yeah, it's they 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 did it all sort of DIY. They wanted to do it all in house, and they all did mm. self production. And yeah. for me, I'm like, as soon as you sent me that message, I instantly got excited and told Heidi because I said, that for me, the most amazing thing about this band and this album is not only the youth and like the sheer like the the future is so bright for them. They could really do big things. Mm-hmm. But for this debut release, they did it self, you know, self in house, and it was DIY. Yeah. And for me, that's such a an impressive, huge thing for them to do something DIY and it come out like this. Yeah. I mean, like, that's one of the things, one of the things that I really do pride myself on being part of the movie. A lot of the stuff, 90% of what we do is pretty much in-house. Um, we, we are our own promoters, we are our own managers, we are pretty much our own PR, whatever. But we try and do things as in-house support. Everybody pretty much makes the effort to get things done. Yeah. So... so- as a final, a final thing, how would you rate this out of ten? Um, for me, this is from a no, no, a non-metal person. I would give it an eight. Okay, that's. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. To be fair, I, to be fair, I sort of, I didn't cheat in the way that I was going to give you something really heavy, but then I thought. Yeah, it's, it's, if I went with deathcore, like it would just be sound like noise. So I thought I wanted to give you some. I wanted to give you something trying, but something interesting that you'd enjoy as well. I think and, uh, the only issue that I have with that album is that a lot of the, it's very very same tempo-y in a lot of ways. Yeah, but then again, that's just. I think that's just really. Um, it's I think it, that's just creative direction rather yeah. than anything else. So for me. Uh, you gave me, so you're going to have to say your band name again. So, this is, um, my band's name is Unguvu. <laughs> I wasn't going to try it again. Yeah, you were. And the, uh, your EP that you, uh, you gave me is called Julie. Julie. And um, so this is, so he was actually really smart. There's no, there's no rules or regulations with this album swap. You can give me whatever you want, I can give you whatever you want. Uh, so he gave me his EP, and to be fair... I'm really glad that he did because it's it gave me a chance to listen to his stuff because uh, I'd heard some of the Captivator stuff but not some of this stuff and also I thought it was quite um, quite uh, ballsy to give me something of his own to talk about on uh, the podcast so I felt mm. like I thought that was um, what well, was you know, a really interesting thing to go with and I'm really glad you did so it's a so this EP uh, like I said it's called Julie it's uh, a blend it is a blend of like funk soul there's some hip hop in there um, some like some really really like uh, relevant sort of jazz like uh, elements and uh, afro beats mm-hmm. the only bit in there that I wasn't um, uh, sort of I, I, did, I didn't know stylistically why was just the afro beats bit and um, so when I saw that I read that description before I went into it. I was sort of instantly sort of interested because it was going to introduce me to a style of music that I've never heard before. Um, so the first track, um, for me, mm-hmm. the first track is by far the best on the EP, which isn't a knock on the rest of the EP. The EP is so well produced and so good. Um, however, this first track is by far a standout. Like, I really enjoyed it to the point where I've actually saved the EP on on Spotify. Oh, yeah. um, 
because like so I've converted um, another one so it's so like so like i say this is not my style at all i come yeah. from a metalcore yeah. um deathcore uh, uh genre before i listened to this i listened to the new mangling album which is a deathcore slam album um so to go into this like in in terms of the mood and everything else like it just is so much different and it's like listening to it i was writing notes for the for the show and i instantly just felt so much like i felt really calm and collected and just in a really good place um so like the bass instantly draws you in on this this first song. Like the bass is really sort of like. What's like, the name of the first song? Sold out. Yes. Um, instantly sort of like reminded me of like Red Hot Chili Peppers, like early Red Hot Chili Peppers, like really funk, like bass heavy, like was really really sort of like instantly drew me in. Um, and then you've got like like a saxophone that comes in sort of like randomly, like but like you hear the saxophone come in. And it made me smile because I was like, "Yeah, okay, that like that that works." You know, like that yeah. like, that that adds to it. Like I like it. Um, like the vocalist. Now, like once again, like like you said with uh, "Sleep with the Helm," like you don't like you're not up on that genre. So like, if you say anything that you know isn't the right term or like isn't isn't right in description, like you don't mean to upset. Or, or this is the same for me. However, okay. like the vocalist, her voice is insane in terms of the range in terms of just the sound like her voice is fucking like it it makes you feel just like nice it like it's really weird like music has a way of, like a way of like you listen to angry music you feel angry you want to fucking yeah. throw your mom out of the top floor of the window like you listen to something like children laid back like it makes it makes you feel completely different and like you could take her voice out and the track be something completely different. Yeah. The song would be completely different with like as it as it is. Put her voice on top of it and I think it just changes it completely. Yeah. I think it really sort of I don't know, like it really it just works. Like I don't know who your vocalist is, I don't know where you found her, but it's, she was um, meant to be a vocalist. Yeah. So she, um the vocalist on that point, um she's called Julia Gordon. She used to um um, I'll give you the dis- the description uh, over the. Did it? No, no, no. I probably didn't. Um, so she actually used to sing for the Happy Mondays back in the day, and she also used to sing for Kasabian. Oh shit! No way. Yes. Oh, um, God, no and way. she we actually she actually um, we met each other. She, we, funnily enough, the story is we met each other. Um, I was originally going to audition for her band, but eventually like that project fell through and i had my these songs were written during for um joining ex, for during, for my exam so yeah. i written these for my um, final exam in uni and i didn't have a vocalist so i asked julie to do it and most of the most of the gig most of the stuff that we did she just straight up improvised it improvised the whole set oh wow so it's literally one rehearsal she just jammed through it she jammed through one rehearsal it was just like yeah, we've got a vocalist. She, she is like, yeah, she she's a diamond in the rough. Like, oh, yeah, she, she's a queen. You know, she is like, for, yeah, she's like, I can't I can't big this girl's vocals up like, enough. Like, she reminded me like, like early, like early sort of, um, what's her fucking name? Um, uh, she did, um, like, I'm probably being really stupid now, but she did like loads of the James Bond films, like, uh, James, James Bond themes, like, uh, she's she's 
that's the fella. Like she, like she reminded me like 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 heavily of like early her because uh, like early uh, like her early stuff is like a lot more sort of like deep and and powerful with her voice. Like they remind me of real like a lot of that uh, as an EP. Like sounds incredibly produced. Like really really on top form. Like. For me, I made more notes on the first track than I did on any of the others. That's not that's not uh, a, a diss on any of the other tracks. It's just that first track just really fucking got me. Um, Be Mine is the second track. Um, it's like way more down tempo. Um, sounds a lot more soul based. Like yeah. the first the first song a lot more funk, mm. a lot more a lot more sort of like like funk heavy. This one's sort of a lot more soul. And um, like I I I put a question mark by this, mm-hmm. but the random hip hop like guest vocal bit is that you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I put mate, mate. If I could show you, if I, I'll take a picture and send you my notes because I put Jamal guest vocal rap part question mark. Like mate. So was this so was good. the one that I've actually written the lyrics for. Mate, it was so good. Like. One didn't know you could do that, so it was like a ran- and you didn't tell me it was coming. So like <laughs> it was just so random, and I was like, I was really impressed by like the lyrics. Like I just, I don't know, like it, yeah, it really got me. Like it just really random sort of out out the blue. And then the la- the last one that I made uh, notes for was um, was for Broken, which is the second to last track on mm-hmm. it. I was gonna make uh, uh, notes for the last track, but Ollie decided it was coming to put a uh, uh, jump on the bed. Um, and broken, like for me, uh, like it was more chilled, a lot more laid back, a lot more sort of like I'd say, um, uh, a lot more sort of like a like jazz bar, mid nineteen fifties, like at night, ten o'clock at night sort of vibe, um, like like you know like old like where yeah. like, you used to have jazz bars and they just used to be like like fucking. Uh, Ballroom dresses and you know like like that sort of place like that's this is what this last like this last song that I made uh, notes on reminded me of like so for me as a whole really really interesting uh, uh, choice to give me because it is so different to anything I listen to and I listen to a wide range of stuff like I like I love classical music one of my yeah. favorite uh, artists of that is David Garrett he's a, a, a violinist and like so I listen to a big range of, of music but this isn't a genre that i actually listen to so out out of my big wide range you actually pick something that was completely new to me and i really enjoyed that so yeah. like for me like i would like i don't know like i say this is something that i like genre wise don't know don't know about any other artist don't know about what else is out there but for me this is like for an uh an ep that sounds like next level production has everything that I needed in terms of sort of like different tempos, different sounds, different sort of vibes to each song, I'd give it as a whole a, a strong nine. Not only, not, not because you're in it and I'm taking, I'm, I've actually taken you out of it. I'm listening yeah. to it as just something like, like I say, something that I don't, I don't know. And mm. for me, just it ticked, it ticked everything that I needed for me to listen to something like that. The feelings that I wanted to, I wanted to feel. Awesome. Um, for a few fam, little few trivias here about the some of the, uh, the EP and some of the songs. Um, some of it was recorded obviously in the house, but a lot of it was rec- also recorded at the uh, Salford as well. And also, um, yeah, but we all obviously we all did basically put our hand. We all 
basically produced, re- like recorded it, and so I kind of like edited everything, um, put all you know all the little effects on there. But we had um, one of the sax player's cousin's friends um, who'd helped do the mixing and mastering. Okay. Um, also, we like everything we did, like because everything that happens, like because I'm the guy in charge. Everything I I either hands on get involved in it, or I oversee like the process or, or everything that happens. So if I don't like something, I'm like I'm doing that again, or let's do this again, or maybe we should do this at this point. But the thing is, like, we're like the the majority of us like in. In Guru are Salford students, or at least music tech students. Yeah. So we've all had a hand in the production. Uh, obviously, I've had the majority of hand in the writing and the composition of it. Um, Julie's had a hand. Broken is actually um, the one that she's fully written. Like okay. In, a, in the terms of like, it was sort of, basically we did a rearrangement of her tr- track that was unreleased. Okay. So we decided to add that in there. And um, also, I'm surprised that you didn't do uh, any notes for Thunder. I was I was going to, but Ollie yeah. came in and started bouncing on the bed. And, oh. then I, and then yeah, that's what I was saying. I was listening to it. I listened. I actually listened, I had to listen to it three times. Mm. He kept wanting me to play like play with him. Um, I, hey, I, just, I just yeah, I just didn't I didn't make any notes for it. However, what did like, you think? How did you feel? How does that make you make you feel? I, I thought I felt the the. That that wasn't the live track, was it? That was one before the live track. Um, the Thunder one was. Oh no! Sorry, 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 sorry. My my mistake. So what my Spotify did was it played the EP and then played your next one, so your live one. Yeah. I thought, I thought the live one was part of it. No, that was actually we put the live part. Funny enough, the live part was actually my exam. Oh, it's, so the so the so the the final song of the EP for me was like. It was the for me. It was like the perfect cap. It was the perfect closing yeah. for. So it. the fourth, the fourth song. The for, for, by that point, you, that like you, I felt like it as a whole had taken you on a journey. Mm. It, and it's such a wanky term to use as uh, when it comes to music. Like, oh, you know, yeah. it really spoke. It really spoke to me. To me. <laughs> I want to kick my own fucking head in for saying it, but like in this in this way, like it's actually true. Like it. It really, did, it really does take you on a nice little, like, and that, like takes. Not only does it take you on a, I say again, nice journey, but it puts you in a really nice place. Mm. Like, I think as a whole, it. I think as a whole, as a fusion band's EP, it, it ticked every, it, like, sort of every, every, every genre that you're fusing, it, it ticked. Does that make yeah. sense? So like, yeah. had a bit of everything, like. And each song was sort of heavy on a different part. Mm. So like, like one, what the first the first song was very funk heavy. Yeah. Uh, second one, I would say very sort of like soul, like more soul. Uh, mm-hmm. Broken, more ch- more chilled out sort of. I'd say, I'd, yeah, I'd say I'd say more jazzy. Yeah. Um, and the fourth, just sort of like I think it sort of like put all of them into a little bit of a pop for the last. Yeah. Like, yeah. And um, yeah. It was, it's like I say, it's, it's something that I actually, um, I actually uh, downloaded on, on Spotify and made it off. Brilliant, absolutely yeah, brilliant. Thank you. It, it really, it really, I really did enjoy it. And to be fair, 
Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I didn't think I would because it's not my it's not my style and it's something that's so out of it that's, that's like in terms of my style, but yeah. I really did enjoy it. So we've I been going for, out, didn't I? We've been going out on for two hours now. So oh. we're gonna wrap it up. 